Uh, good morning. It's a privilege uh, to share God's word with you, even in these uncertain times. Uh, it's week seven since our churches haven't been able to gather corporately. So here we are, although scattered, uh, thankful to be uh, connected virtually together. Uh, it's the best we got while we are apart, so thank you for joining us. Uh, to those of you who are tuning in live stream, and thank you, Pastor Nathan, for the invitation to preach God's word. Uh, it's my debut as a televangelist, so thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I know God's already doing great things here at Restoration Church. This building is amazing, praise the Lord. So I pray that the Lord will continue to bless and build up Restoration Church for his glory, for the good of his people, and the advancement of the gospel. Let's go to him now in prayer again and ask the Lord to help us hear from his word. Let's pray. Father, be glorified as your word is proclaimed, as you lavish on us your grace in the hearing of your word. Cause us to be captivated by your word. Cause your word to penetrate our hearts by your spirit. Give us deep understanding of you and your will and cause it to bear fruit in our lives. Grant us greater love and trust in you. Cause non-believers to be awakened to you in repentance and faith and call on Jesus as Lord and Savior. In his name we pray, amen. A few weeks ago, I came across an article in the Harvard Business Review titled, That Discomfort You're Feeling is Grief. The title immediately drew me in. If you're like me and had no words to describe it, if you're still adjusting to this quarantine life some 41 days later, if you're still finding social distancing and sanitizing and seclusion weird and awkward and frustrating, that discomfort you feel is grief. Not to make any excuses for any of my personal shortcomings or sins, but it helped me to put things into perspective. Why have I been so annoyed at my kids? Sorry, Katie, Micaiah, Emmett. Why have I been so short with my wife? Sorry, Jerry. Why have I been drinking so much coffee? Why have I been uncontrollably eating nonstop, opening the fridge like it's my job? Perhaps some of you can relate. Some of you have had trouble sleeping. Some of you are dealing with real anxiety and fear and depression and loneliness and addiction. Some of you know people who have been affected by the coronavirus directly. Some of you have lost loved ones or know people who have. The fact is, none of us have ever been in such a situation, a nationwide shutdown, a global pandemic. So we're trying to make sense of it all, aren't we? I'll spare you the details of the article for you to read on your own, but basically the conclusion is this. Let yourself feel the grief. Go through the stages of grief. Keep going. Keep trying. You can get through. History has shown us you can survive. The advice the article offers are good, and I think mostly helpful, but the article only goes so far. Worldly grief, worldly sorrow only goes so far. I believe through this current crisis, God is calling us deeper, deeper than worldly grief. God is calling us to godly grief, to spiritual sorrow. 
For you and me as Christians, our goal in all of this ought not to simply be to get through or get by. If God is indeed in control, and he is, if God is indeed sovereign, and he is, we know that he can lift this disease whenever and however he so desires. But the truth is, the reality is, he has us here. That's why I think it's worth asking and wrestling with a question, God, what is your purpose for this pandemic? God, what are you doing in us in the midst of this trial? So this morning from Psalm 130, I want to share with you four lessons I believe the psalmist teaches us about waiting on God in troubled times. While we wait for the pandemic to lift, while we ret- uh, wait for to return to life as normal, Lord willing, before the darkness of this disease subsides, before the morning comes, I pray we as Christians will learn to wait on the Lord as the psalmist did so that we'll not miss the lessons and waste this precious time that the Lord has granted to us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 130. And as you turn there, let me give you some context. Psalm 130 is a well-known psalm. It's a favorite psalm of many highly regarded Christians of history. It was Augustine's favorite psalm, Calvin's favorite psalm. Psalm 130 was uniquely used to transform John Wesley's heart toward his conversion. Luther also loved this psalm because he saw it as a, a great Old Testament example of forgiveness by grace apart from the law. Uh, But most importantly, it's your pastor Nathan Knight's favorite psalm as well. He told me in our conversation two times that this is his favorite psalm. So pray for me as his uh, exegetical eyes are gazing at me right here in the front row. You don't see it, but I see it. Uh, Psalm 130 is one of seven penitential psalms in the Psalter. These seven psalms in particular have been used in church history over the centuries to bring insight and meaning to those in need of repentance by those who struggled and desired to express and confess the agony of their sins to God. Furthermore, Psalm 130 is also one of 15 Song of Ascents, Psalms from uh, chapter 120 to 134, or Pilgrim Psalms, or Traveling Songs, which were sung by God's people as they ascended the road to Jerusalem to attend and celebrate three main Jewish festivals each year. Uh, These two descriptions of the psalm are very fitting because that's exactly how the psalmist leads us and points us the way from depths of our depravity to the heights of heaven, to the wretchedness of our souls, to the redemption of our Savior. So follow along as I read from Psalm 130. A song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark my iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. 
and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Four lessons on waiting on God in troubled times. Here's the outline so you know where we're headed. Number one, cry from the depths. Number two, fear the one who forgives. Number three, wait with expectation. And number four, hope in redemption. Cry, fear, wait, and hope. So point number one, the psalmist teaches us to cry from the depths. Look with me to verse one and two again. It says this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. When's the last time you cried to the Lord? I know you were encouraged last Sunday to cry out honestly to the Lord from Psalm 42. And I'm sure many of you have and do. But for those of you who struggle to pray this kind of desperate prayer, I mean ever, or it's been a really long time since you prayed this way, I pray this psalm will challenge every Christian listening right now to wake, up, wake us up from a spiritual stupor to the reality at hand. Brothers and sisters, the psalmist here isn't simply talking about poetic expression of crying out. This is not exaggerated emotions of an overly sensitive psalmist. This type of prayer isn't just for the charismatics. This type of prayer is a prayer that King David and Prophet Daniel and Jesus the Messiah and the Apostle Paul and Christians of all generations prayed. Notice from where the psalmist is crying out. It says in verse one, out of the depths I cry to you. Out of the depths, from deep within, from desperation, the psalmist cries out to God. I'd say if there was such a time Christians should be crying out to God from the depths, that time is now. A global pandemic that not only halted a city, but all major cities, entire states, no across-the-border travels, the entire country of the United States, entire nations around the world shut down. Over 2 million people have been infected and over 200,000 people have died from the coronavirus worldwide to date. It's another humbling reminder, brothers and sisters, of the fragility of humanity and of our utter inability, is it not? No amount of human intellect, no amount of human wealth, no amount of human organization has the power to save us from the disease. No one is immune. Pastor Joey shared with you last Sunday that C.S. Lewis quote, God shouts to us in our pain as a megaphone to arouse a deaf world. So what is God shouting to us in this collective global pain? Only God can stop the world and shout, seek me, hear me, listen to me. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. So my question for you, wherever you are, whoever you are, are you listening? This is God's invitation for us to call on him and draw us nearer to him. The psalmist was in such a place to receive God's invitation. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas 
for mercy. What he, what he was saying was, Lord, hear me, answer me, help me, please. You could hear the desperation in his voice. You see, this wasn't just a casual call. This was an emergency call, a 911 call. Self-help is of no use here. In verse one, in the English translation, the word Lord is repeated. You'll see that. The first word, L-O-R-D, is in all caps to indicate the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. And the second Lord, capital L, uh, small case O-R-D, is to indicate the Hebrew name for Adonai. And the psalmist, what he's doing is calling on the master and sovereign Lord. He knows that if you are in the depths, you're going to call someone for help. You better call someone who is able. And let me remind you, brothers and sisters, Yahweh Adonai is indeed able. Amen? So how about you? Are you crying out to God, the only one who is able? I know not all of us feel the effects of the coronavirus directly. We're all experiencing it differently. Some of you feel the depth. For some of you, you don't know where your next month's paycheck will come from. You don't know if your business will survive the shutdown. You are fearful because you are at the front lines of fighting this virus. You are anxious because you or your loved ones are immunocompromised. You're overwhelmed because of the pressures are just too much for you to handle. You have nowhere else to turn, no one else to hear your plea but God. So I want to encourage you this morning, cry out to him from the depths of utter desperation because he hears you. Charles Spurgeon says, the more distressed we are, the more excellent is the faith which trusts bravely in the Lord and therefore appeal to him and to him alone. And prayer, he says, is never more real and acceptable than when it rises out of from the worst places. That's why I believe in God's mysterious or not so mysterious but obvious ways in his sovereignty. He's calling us, the church, the people of God, to cry out to him for help in these dire days. Some may say, what? That isn't right. How can a good God cause sufferings of millions of people around the world and still be good? That's why some people have been saying that the coronavirus is actually God's judgment, right? Uh, on mankind. But brothers and sisters, if you know the God of the Bible, suffering on earth isn't God's judgment on us. It's God's mercy. While we are here on earth, it's God's mercy. We'll talk more about that in the second point. But there are so many verses to support this truth. Here are a few. 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, become like him in his death. 1 Peter 2.21, for this, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his step. This is why the psalmist cries out for mercy in verse two. He says, let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. 
God wants us to know that health and wealth are temporary and fleeting, and he wants to awaken the world of our need of him. Amen? There are some of you who are unfamiliar with such cries from the depths, and I'm asking you the question this morning, if not, why not? What more will cause you to cry out to God from the depths? What more? What does he have to show you to to call you to cry out to him? Martin Luther says, crying is but a strong and earnest longing for God's grace, which does not arise in a person unless he sees in what depths he is lying. So, do you know the depths in which you are lying in? The psalmist shows us why he cries out in such a way, what causes him to see the depths wherein he is lying. We find the answer in the next two verses, which leads me to my second point. Point number two, fear the one who forgives. Fear the one who forgives. Look with me to verse three and four. It says this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. The answer is in verse three. The reason for the psalmist's desperate cry was because he was keenly aware of his dreadful state. In God's mercy, the psalmist knew his greatest problem isn't the enemy out there. It's the life-sucking, joy-robbing, lukewarm-loving, content in apathy, sin-tolerating, sick in soul in here. The psalmist knew that. Before a holy God, who can stand? No one. If God were to mark yours and my iniquities, we would all be guilty as charged. The thought of God's judgment caused the psalmist to cry out to God for mercy from the depths, to cry out in desperate plea. Maybe uh, there are some who think to yourself, I've already dealt with that. You know, I'm good. I'm I'm secure in Jesus Christ. I don't need to cry out like that. Uh, I haven't been in that kind of depth in years. Maybe that's what you're thinking. But let me remind you, brothers and sisters, this psalm was sung by God's people. They sang it every year as a reminder of the depravity of their sin and the holiness of God. Dear brother and sister Christian, in these difficult days, while we are scattered as a church, what has been your view of sin? John Owen says, he that has light thoughts of sin had never great thoughts of God. So, in your anxiety, in the pressures of the quarantine, in your laziness, if you're honest, in your sinful indulgences, in your lack of accountability, has scripture reading been far from you? Has prayer been short and distant from you? Has Tiger King and other indulgences and tolerances way too, been way too close to you? Perhaps some of you have forgotten that the whole of the Christian life is one of repentance. I must admit, one of the things that I miss most about the gathering together as a church during the shutdown, other than singing, of course, I miss singing so much, is our corporate prayer of confession. That's why I was so encouraged and edified by Pastor Nathan praying that prayer. Uh, At our church, a brother leads us in confessing specific sins corporately, from that Sunday's passage or other areas of life, uh, the Lord brings to mind, it's so helpful to confess in such a way together, to confess sins together, because sin has a way, as you know already from Scripture, 
Sin has a way of blinding us, of making us grow cold and numb to the things of God and what God hates. And so with all the busyness gone and responsibilities minimal, accountability slim, perhaps God is exposing you of sins you have been ignoring or are being blinded by. And I pray this morning as you are hearing these words right now, the Lord will convict you of areas of sin in your life and cause you to confess and repent of any those any of those ongoing sins, whatever it may be. John Bunyan, again, he says, in these two men, the whole condition of the world is comprehended. In the proud who ignore and cloak their sin and in the humble who confess it. Dear Christian, what have you to fear? The truth that the psalmist held onto in verse four is still a promise for you and me today. But with you, there is forgiveness. Amen? This is the good news of the entire Bible. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the best news you will ever hear. That God, who is holy unlike any other, created all things in love for his glory and for our good. But man, having been tempted by Satan, chose to be God unto himself, deliberately disobeying God's word, choosing death over life. As a result, man was separated from God, entirely helpless to save himself from the power and curse of sin. And because of our continuous rebellion, we rightly deserve his wrath and judgment as the consequential sentence of our sin. But God, in his mercy, had a plan from the very beginning to forgive and to redeem a people for us to know his steadfast love. How did he do this? By sending his own son, Jesus Christ, who is truly God and truly man, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we should have died. He took our place as a substitute on the cross for our sins, sins of the past, present, and future, for all of our unrighteousness, for all of our iniquities. He paid the debt that we would have suffered in eternal hell. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Jesus Christ rose again on the third day from death, which meant that God accepted his sacrifice once and for all, conquering all sin, Satan, and death forever. And whosoever, anyone who would repent and believe in him will not die and go to hell, but participate in his resurrection. So in him, we get to live the forgiven life here on earth right now and await with hope for his return to live a glorious eternal life with him forevermore. Amen. If you're not a Christian tuning in this morning, welcome. Just know that we've been praying for you. This is no mere coincidence that you are tuning in to a church service online. We've been praying for you. This coronavirus shutdown is God's way of showing you. Everything else is unstable. Everything else is fleeting. No one is invincible. God is shattering earthly idols that takes place of the one true God. Success, wealth, and health, none of it is guaranteed. None of it lasts. God is blowing up all the false notions of peace when there is no peace apart from him. So brother or sister, friend, if you're out there and you're not a Christian, this is your chance to be forgiven. This is your opportunity to be washed of a disease far worse than the coronavirus sin. So this morning, repent of your sins. Confess of your need of him today. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this very moment. And I guarantee you, 
friend, that you will find rest for your weary and anxious soul. If you want to know more about following Jesus, be sure to contact one of the pastors at this church, and I'm sure they'll be happy to pray with you and guide you through these difficult times. Dear Christian brothers and sisters, let me ask you again, in Christ, what do you have to fear? You have Christ. You have all you need. Forgiveness in Christ rightly displaces all other fears only uh, with the only fear that we ought to fear, the fear of him, the fear of God. That's the meaning of the last part of verse four. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Brothers and sisters, I'm just reminding you, right? You already know this. Christ is greater than all sin, all sickness, all threats from Satan, all worries, all anxiety. This doesn't mean we're making light of it, but I'm just telling you the truth that Christ is greater and bigger and he has defeated sin. So whatever life circumstances bring you, his grace is sufficient for you. That's the way it's been. That's the way it is. And that's the way it will always be. He is faithful to you and me to the end. And death is not the end for the Christian, isn't it? That's why uh, Matthew 10, 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Brothers and sisters, this coronavirus pandemic is God's call for us to rightly fear the one we ought to fear, the one who offers forgiveness. But let's uh, move on to the next point to see how we ought to do that better. What is God teaching us through Psalm 130 in the midst of this pandemic? What is his purpose for his people? Third lesson, to wait with expectation, to wait with expectation. Look with me to verse five and six. It says this. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Did you notice the repetitions? I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. The past and present tense of the word wait and the use of repetition teaches us that the psalmist not only believed in the hope of God's word in the gospel one time in the past, but it was an ongoing, continuous action. What he was saying was, I have waited and am waiting and will wait. Two observations from that. The Christian life is one of waiting. The entire Entirety of the Bible is one of waiting. There's a little bit of excitement in the middle when Jesus first came, and then some more waiting for Jesus' great comeback. But lest you think that the Christian life is boring because people naturally equate uh, waiting with boring, right? God throws in all sorts of circumstances and trials and sufferings and blessings and experiences and biblical uh, insights and, and, and nuggets from his word and, and times of prayer, graces upon graces and even the coronavirus to keep us trusting and leaning on him and him alone so that we can be strengthened in our faith, so that our, our worship will be sweeter, so that our appreciation for the gospel will be 
richer. Now, we've been apart for seven weeks, seven weeks uh, from our corporate gatherings. And I'm telling you, particularly singing with my church together will be so heavenly. Brothers and sisters, we wait with expectation because the graces we experience from him here on earth whets our appetite, increases our appetite for him in the eternal congregation. It's preparing us for his return and our final glorification, our complete restoration to the one we've been waiting for, Jesus Christ. He as the bridegroom and we as the church, his bride. A few days ago, my wife Jerry and I had a chance to FaceTime two friends of ours who will be joining our church plant. We have known these two friends for over a decade because they were my former youth students. And I'll be honest with you, I hate, I hate uh, these days because I hate Zoom calls, I hate FaceTime, uh, because confession time, I hate the sight of my ugly face. I'm sorry, just confessing truth. Uh, with my overgrown hair, overdue haircut, and with my COVID-19 pounds of weight gain, uh, I hate doing that. But as I got on the call with Brandon and Swain, I immediately noticed something. Man, they look good, right? I asked them, so I had to ask them, literally, dang, have you guys been working out? And they said to me, yes, every day. You see, Brandon and Swain are getting ready to get married this coming September. So they've been preparing. They've been staying healthy, staying happy, waiting eagerly with expectation of their long-awaited wedding day. They didn't look tired and groggy like I did. They didn't gain a few pounds like I did. They were waiting well. That's how we, all Christians, ought to be waiting to be united with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Second observation. The fact that the Christian uh, life is one of waiting also means waiting um, isn't easy. If you and I were ready for heaven, God would take us now, right? But the fact that you and I are still here alive means we have work to do. Don't worry about what you lack. Don't worry about what you don't have right now because God is sanctifying you in your insufficiency. Remember, remember, it's all about trusting him, crying out to him from the depths. But also, more importantly, God keeps us here because he wants us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, according to Philippians 2.12. What does that mean? It means you exercise in obedience what you say you believe about Jesus. You grow in obedience. You grow in maturity. You grow in confidence in the word, just like the psalmist. In his word, I hope. We get to grow in that, brothers and sisters. Last August, my father passed away from an aggressive form of cancer and it all caught us by surprise. He wasn't Christian and he sent me here when I was seven years old to achieve the American dream, but I became a pastor, so we didn't have that great of a relationship. Uh, in God's grace, I had the opportunity to spend the last eight out of 10 days in the hospital in Korea with him as the cancer was eating away his body. I prayed by his bedside, Lord, Spare him from a greater suffering that is to come if he does not trust in you. I share the gospel with him again. Not sure if he understood because he was going in and out of consciousness. I don't know if I'll ever 
see him again in heaven. But I do know one thing. I don't ever want to see another soul die and go to hell if there is anything that I can do about it. If I have the gospel, if I love the gospel, why wouldn't I share it with someone? I don't want to stay uh, doing nothing and, and just waiting for nothing, right? That's why I want to pastor a gospel preaching church in Rockville, Maryland, where the harvest is plentiful. I don't want to waste more time doubting, wondering, you know, is this God's will for me to go and preach the gospel, waiting for the perfect opportunity? I have to remember that God has given me all I need. I have Christ. I have Christ. I am blessed beyond words, brothers and sisters. The support of my home church, the support of my court teams, the support of brothers like you at Restoration, we want to be a faithful gospel witness that reflects the diverse kingdom of Jesus Christ in Montgomery County so more people will come to know him until Jesus comes back. So my question for you this morning, how are you waiting? Expectantly? Or are you just getting by the days? Are you preparing? Are you praying? Are you interceding? The image we get from the last part of that verse isn't one where the watchmen are completely exhausted and ready to give up. Oh, finally, right? No, you see the repetition there. More than the watchmen for the morning. More than the watchmen for the morning. You see, there's eagerness there. There's expectations there. They see the sun rising. They see the new day dawning and they have hope. They are grateful for safety and for rest, which moves me to my final point, short point, fourth and finally, a lesson that this psalm teaches us, hope in redemption, hope in redemption. Look at verses seven and eight. Oh, Israel, he's preaching now, right? Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him there is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Why should Christians have hope in the midst of unprecedented global crisis? Because brothers and sisters, we're not left clueless of what will happen in the end. Jesus wins and he, it says right there, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. With the Lord there is steadfast love and with him there is plentiful redemption. Amen? I believe that through this pandemic, God is purifying his church. Think of all the healthy biblical church conversations that are going on, right, online. Should we do this? Should we not do this? Should we take the Lord's Supper? Should we not do this? This is a good thing. These are good conversations to be had. I believe God is also preparing for revival. Hundreds and thousands of people around the world will come to seek and find Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Amen? This week, as I was reading some previous historic records of kind of similar situation from Charles Spurgeon's Voice of Cholera and Franz Grimke's sermon, I was so encouraged. It put some fire in my bones. Let me read you two excerpts here from Charles Spurgeon, Voice of Cholera. God takes not away the trouble which he sends unless he has answered his design by it. There's a purpose for it. If you ask me what I think to be the design, I believe it to be this, to awaken up our indifferent population, to make them remember that there is a God, 
to render them susceptible of the influences of the gospel, to drive them to the house of prayer, to influence their minds to receive the word, and moreover, startle Christians into energy and earnestness that they may work while it is called today. That's from Charles Spurgeon's Voice of Cholera. Uh, during his time, similar pandemic happened, and that's his encouragement. And here's another one, Francis Grimke's sermon after his church wasn't able to gather for three weeks, a, a paragraph from here. Anxious as I have been to resume work, I have waited patiently until the order was lifted. I started to worry at first, as it seemed to upset all of our plans for the fall work, but I soon recovered my composure. I said to myself, why worry? God knows what he's doing, and his work is not going to suffer. It will rather be help to it in the end. Out of it, I believe, great good is coming. All the churches, as well as the community at large, are going to be stronger and better for this season of distress through which we have been passing. That was Francis Grimke after three weeks of separation, being separated during the Spanish flu. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, there is plenteous redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. What is God's purpose for us in the pandemic? For us to learn how to cry from the depths, understanding the depravity of our sin and the holiness of God. To fear the one who forgives, to wait with expectation, and to hope in the redemption of our Lord Jesus Christ that is surely, certainly coming as the dawn will come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a sovereign God, a sovereign Lord. We thank you that as your children, we have the confidence and assurance that you are victorious and that you will keep us to the end. Father, we think about the hundreds and thousands of people around the world who do not have that hope in Jesus Christ, who do not have that forgiveness, who do not have that security. We pray for them now, Lord, that you, by your spirit, through your word, by, through, through your people, will come to hear your glorious gospel and be forgiven and find peace and rest in you. Father, bear fruit through the declaration of your word this morning and cause your church, cause your people to carry this gospel boldly. Father, whatever anxiety, whatever worry, whatever circumstances, though hard and real as they are, help them to cast it onto you, crying out in the depths, looking to you, turning to you, waiting on you, hoping in you and you alone. Thank you for the promise. Thank you for the security. Thank you for the confidence we have in Jesus Christ, our only hope. It is in his name we pray. Amen.